Again, I want to welcome you uh, to Redeemer today. I want to welcome all the college students. A lot of you are freshmen. We're glad that you're here for the first time. And it's good to have the students back. Some of you are uh, in the fall. You look for a new church or maybe you moved to town. We're glad that you're here as, as well. I remind the college students that there'll be a lunch for you uh, right here in the back uh, in the fellowship hall here. So we'd love to have you um, for lunch. The next week, I'm going to begin a series on the book of Psalms, and I will tell you why. Next week, I decided and chose uh, to do that, that series. But what we're going to do this, this morning is we're going to finish a sermon that I started two weeks ago. Uh, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 10. Now, the reason I chose that text is I had a sermon to preach in between sermon series. We always go through sermon series. And the reason that I wanted to do Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 is because there's not a, a clearer text in the Bible concerning what the gospel is and, and, and how one comes uh, to faith in Christ. And what does that mean? Abundantly clear. In fact, our text actually has the audacity to say to all of us here that are in this room, A, that you need to be saved. You must be saved. And then it has the audacity to say, if you are here today and you have been saved, it is surely, completely, by the grace of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so I, I want us to look at this text again. And so this is God's word, if you would follow along with me. This is the word of God. And you... We're dead in the trespasses and sins which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared 
beforehand that we should walk in them. Now this is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for uh, your word. Lord, we cannot create a God who's a figment of our imagination. The God who's revealed himself through the scripture is the triune God, the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, for all of us, whether we are believers or seekers or not sure where we are, or even if we're in absolute rebellion today, would you be merciful and open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf? Lord, would you raise us from the dead if we are dead spiritually and unite us to Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection so that we might know the true freedom that the gospel brings? We ask these things in your name. Amen. I recently heard a story about the famous evangelist named Billy Graham. Many of you have heard of Billy Graham, even if you're probably not a Christian, you're not church, you've heard of Billy Graham. I've had the privilege of hearing Billy Graham. But I heard a story about him and a a very famous British journalist uh, named Malcolm Mulgridge. Maybe you've heard of Malcolm Mulgridge. Uh, He was a gentleman who uh, was a a journalist in the 20th century, uh, became a Christian later in his life. He was either an atheist or an agnostic. Uh, He is is known for the famous quote that all news is old news happening to new people. You ever heard that quote? It's really true. Basically, he's saying, you know what? The writer of the Ecclesiastes is right, that there's nothing new under the sun. What has been will be unless there's some... One who interjects into this world. And, and, he, and, he, and he met Christ. And after 80 years of observing uh, and, editor, uh, and editor, uh, doing the editorials about human events of the... the to, to, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, you need to try this one time. Just get up here one time. And you will love me more. Or think I'm an idiot. One of the two. But... <coughs> He said this, he looked at the 20th century where all this killing takes place, right? And it wasn't religious wars, trust me, it was not religious wars. It was political ideologies, whatever it may be. But here's what he said. The depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable reality, but at the same time the most intellectually resisted fact. Well, so he comes to Christ, and of course, so he knows about Billy Graham. Well, Billy Graham uh, comes to Cambridge, where he lived, to speak. <laughs> and I say, everybody's coming here, Billy Graham. And so one of his friends asked him, have you heard Dr. Graham? Did you hear him speak? And, uh, and he said, uh, no, I have not. And he asked him, why did you not hear him speak? And his response was, where Mr. Graham is not subtle enough for me. Now, if you've watched any of Downton Abbey, or any Downton, is that how you say it? Downtown Abbey or Downton Abbey? Well, I've been watching it. I'm sorry. Uh, I have watched some of it. And, uh, but it's really interesting. Uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, British elites, 
They can say something very bluntly, but they say it very politely. Uh, and what he was saying basically is this, is that, that, that Dr. Graham is just too straightforward for me. Not subtle enough. But you see, Dr. Graham has preached all over the world to millions of people because he's not subtle. And the reason he's not subtle is because he's usually preaching out of the Gospels and he's preaching the very words of Jesus Christ's work. And basically what he is saying uh, is that the Gospel is that the world is a mess. You're a mess because you're a sinner and you're condemned and your only hope is through Jesus Christ. Now why would Dr. Graham put it that way? Well, because Jesus puts it that way. A Jesus in John chapter 3. Have you ever heard of John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's a wonderful verse. That whoever uh, should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But let me listen, listen to what Jesus goes on to say in John 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Now, even if you're saying, well, okay, Jesus said to those people, we've heard that. What about people who've never heard what Jesus had to say? Well, let me tell you two things. One, they have heard. But number two, Jesus would say, well, they will not believe. Why will you not believe? Why will you not believe today and surrender your life to Jesus Christ? I'll tell you why. Because of what our text says. Because you're born in darkness and you hate the light. So the reason I chose this text and the reason I bring that story up is because, you see, this is a, a not-so-subtle text about what it really means to be a Christian. What is a Christian? Is it someone who believes right things or is it somebody whom God has had mercy upon their soul and made them new? So there are three not-so-subtle points. I began one last week, but I want us to see this. The text teaches man's condition, when you hear man, think me, okay? Our condition, apart from the gospel. And then our condition through the gospel. And the effects of the gospel. What does grace do to a person? If you're, if you're saved by grace, are you, if, if you're united to Jesus, what is that looking like Monday through Saturday? <laughs> now, I had the first point last week, but I've got to come back over it again uh, because if you weren't here last week, you'll miss the gospel. The gospel always begins with the, the reality, the, the negative, the bad news. So Paul is writing to us as Christians. That's who he's writing to. Ephesians is written to Christians. Chapter 1, he says, you are called 
Before the foundations of the earth, Jesus Christ came uh, for you to set his love upon you. And Paul goes on at the end of chapter 1, right before our chapter here, and he says, I pray that the, the, the knowledge of Christ might grow. <laughs> the reality of what, if God has had mercy upon you, I want you to grow in the knowledge of this. And so now we come to chapter 2, and it reminds us of what we were and who we are now. And so he comes to, to verse 1 through 3. And he shows what we were if you're a Christian. If you, ha- if you know Jesus, you've been made alive. What you were before. Notice, uh, now I want you to look at your bulletin if you have one. And, and so the first point is these first three verses. And you were dead. And your trespasses and sins in which you walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He says, before you met Christ, you're dead. Now, what is he talking about? To be dead. Well, it's the same word, nekros, in the Greek, that you use for a dead body. And, and so, like when your body dies and you're dead and you're gone, in the same way that you're born spiritually dead. You, you are not alive unto God. You're alive unto being moral. You're alive unto um, spiritual realities. You could say, I'm a spiritual person. Well, of course so, because you're creating the image of God. You're just a fallen spiritual person. You're a dead spiritual person. And remember a couple of weeks ago, I tried to express what that's like. Uh, to be dead is not to have a relationship with God. And I talked about burying my Aunt Doris, who I love deeply, later to rest. And I hadn't seen her in years, and I loved Aunt Doris. She was awesome, my, my favorite aunt. And there she was, she was dead, and I'm sitting in the room wanting to talk to her. But I couldn't, because she's dead. Now, what does it mean uh, to be dead spiritually? It simply means that you don't really have a relationship with God, nor do you want a relationship with God. That's what it really means to be dead. Let's be honest about this, okay? Let's let's just be honest because if you can be honest, then maybe God is making you alive because you can't be honest if you're dead. Do you understand that? And and so uh, there's several things about what it means to be dead spiritually because that's what our text says we were if you're a Christian you were dead, cut off. Uh, we said that it means, uh, first off, that you're ignorant of God. You don't really know God. Now, you might have an opinion of God. You might think that God is whoever you think God is in your mind. But that doesn't make him God. I had the privilege of uh, talking to a young man. I hope he's here today. I hope you're here today. Uh, I talked to one of the coffee shops. The guy's a philosophy um, graduate. Dusty's working in a coffee shop, but um, we had a good. T- I really like this guy, uh, but, it, it, but but he he was a philosopher. Actually, did believe in God, and, and so as we talked about it, uh, he told me that he believed that God is love. And I said, "Man, I agree with you. Infinite, eternal, unchangeable in His love. In fact, if God could love any more or any less than He already loves, He'd cease to be who He is." Can we all agree to that? Philosophically, 
If God has chosen to love you, you cannot outlive his love. You can, there's nothing you can do if he's chosen to love you. So my question to him was, well, let me ask you this. Do you think God is good? And he said, well, of course. And I said, so do you think that that means that he hates evil? And, uh, of course, he's a pretty smart guy, so I think he knew where I was headed with it. Because, you see, the Bible doesn't talk about evil. Yes, it talks about evil, but when it gets down to your level, it talks about sin, because sin is personal. It is an offense against the living God. Sin is transgression of the law of God. And so I said, do you think that God will, uh, do you think he'll carry out justice? And, uh, well, he was busy. And um, so I said, let's talk about it later. And I will tell you the only thing that makes sense in all the philosophies of the world is that in Christ, God remains both just and the justifier of them that believe. That's the gospel. So it means you're ignorant of God. It also means you're bored with him, okay? You're bored with him. You're just not bored. You're bored with God's people and you're bored. Can, can you admit that you're bored with God? And, and, and if you're willing to admit it, maybe God's starting to have mercy on you. But now, there are PCA children here. That's what we call our denomination, Press Church Church of America. They're covenant children, freshmen. Now, you know I used to do RUF campus minister, and what was always amazing to me is how many students that came out of PCA backgrounds were either the blessing, the greatest blessing of my ministry at Vanderbilt, or, or wherever it was, or is the great, they were the greatest curse. There's no in-between. Who were the ones that were the blessing? The ones that were the blessings were the ones that came and they'd already met Jesus Christ and they're excited about knowing him. They're not thinking, you know, I'm at college now. And I can just do what I want to do. And maybe some of you have already done that if you're freshmen. You've already done some things that you shouldn't have done. And, uh, and either you're going to harden your heart toward it or God's going to bring you to himself and you're going to confess your sin. But let me tell you, if you're around other Christians who really want to talk about God and Jesus Christ, and what's going on in other people, and you're bored with it, might I suggest you're dead in your sins. You're not alive. You're dead. I'm just saying what I think the text is saying here. <coughs> but it also means this, that you remain what Paul says, true Christians, Weren't were. Um, he says this in verse 3. Uh, who walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, uh, you're still dominated by your flesh. What people think and, and what you want to do. Now what causes this? What causes spiritual death? Well, I, I don't have time to get in it, but really, if you, if you read the Bible, the whole Bible revolves around one of two men. We'll talk about it a little bit later, but you're either dead in Adam or you're alive in Christ. What causes it? Well, really, it was ultimately his act on your behalf. You were united to Adam's sin. Now, trust me, that's even been lost in evangelical circles today. But Paul does say this. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. What are trespasses? It is breaking the law of God. Anybody in here broken any laws of God? 
Matter of fact, James says this. If you're, if you're, if you're trying to like perform before God, trying to be good, doing the right thing, and being a Christian is, well, I hope I go to heaven because I'm not as bad as that person. James says, if you keep the whole law, but you break it at one point, you're guilty of the whole law. There's none righteous. No, not one. Now, how many of that's just a theory in your head? Yeah, okay, I believe that. But it's never driven home to you to slay you. But not only does he say we're dead in our trespasses, but he also says we're dead in our sins. What's the difference between a trespass and a sin? Trespass is breaking the law of God. Sins, the word there, armatea, is the word for missing the mark altogether. You missed the mark. And so, that's why. Now, let me conclude this part by giving you this illustration. I know I've given this before, but if you're a freshman, you'll love this one. <coughs> you know, a kid grows up in his youth group. And the guy's been a faithful minister of the gospel. He just hadn't heard. He hadn't heard. Is it possible that kids can grow up and never hear even though they've heard the gospel over and over again? Why? Because it's by the grace of God. If you kids, y'all go off to college and the grace of God hadn't come to you, then you know what? You're going to believe, but you're not going to be converted. You don't care. And so, uh, say you go off to college and you'll hear a couple of sophistic professors that are out there, maybe in a religion class or an English class, and they're working with a bunch of 18-year-olds who, you know, their minds are uh, open to just about any idea that's out there. And so some professor convinces them that everything that he learned about sin and God and all these myths are not true. And, of course, so he begins to live his own life, and he goes back and he begins to sin. He does what he's always wanted to do. And so he comes home for in November for Thanksgiving, right? And he goes with his mom and dad to church. And so the preacher begins to, in the sermon, starts talking about the weight of sin and, uh, and how you need Christ uh, to deliver you from the weight and the burden of sin. So after the service was over, this 18-year-old uh, young boy said, Now, Pastor, I, I just must have to uh, say I disagree with something with you. And he said, well, what, son, what do you disagree with me about? And he said, well, pastor, you keep talking about the weight of sin. And he said, I, I just got to be honest with you. I don't feel the weight of my sin anymore. I'm free from all that. And he said, you are. And he said, yes, sir. And he said, okay, let's walk out the door here. So they stepped out of the vestibule and out in the parking lot. And right down the street was a morgue. And he said, now, young man, man let me ask you something. If you and I went down here to this morgue, and there's a dead body sitting there. And we took 500 pounds of weight and laid it on top of him. What would he feel? He said, nothing. And he says, exactly because he's dead. And young man, the reason you don't feel the weight of your sin is because you're dead in your sin. You know why you're not interested in Christ? You know why? You know, it's, I don't know if I really believe any of this. It's because you're dead, okay? Is that what the text says? You were once dead. I think that's clear. I think it is pretty boldly saying what we kind of know to be true. Now, secondly, our text tells us this. Man's condition, apart from the gospel, is death. 
but man's condition through the gospel. What does the gospel do to a man or a woman when it comes to them? What does the gospel do? Is there a real gospel? Is this just a theory? Is it a philosophy? Is it a set of principles? I believe the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, I'm Roman Catholic, I'm Presbyterian, I'm Baptist, I'm non-denominational, I'm charismatic, whatever it may be. What happens when the gospel comes to a person? Well, now imagine if a man is dead spiritually, then there's nothing they can do unless the gospel comes to them. But notice what verse 4 says. These two words, and you see it also in Romans chapter 3. But God. You want to know what the gospel is? But God. Now I could stop right there, but we need to learn more about what the but God is. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm just telling you, if, if you're dead in your sin, there is no hope for you. Unless God has mercy. Now how do I know that? How do I get that? That's exactly what this verse says. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, has made us alive together with Christ. For it is by grace you're saved. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here's the gospel in plain terms. Do y'all see that? It is the grace of God that raises us up with Christ, but trust me, it is His action. Anything less than that is not the gospel. For notice, what is the bad news? Apart from God, what does our text tell us? Dead. What is the good news? But God, rich in mercy, because of his great love, even when dead, made us alive together in Christ. Now, if you're, if you're an international student and you're just kind of learning a little bit about the gospel, I'm telling you, here's what's beautiful about it, okay? And if you're like, I'm trying to process all this, you can because it's, this is a historical event. When Christ died, if you're a Christian, you died with him. You were united with him. And when he was raised, you were raised with him. And the grace of God is the Holy Spirit comes and unites you to him who's already been raised on your behalf. In other words, it's a new life. Let me illustrate that. I think I've given this uh, story before, but uh, I'm the youngest of six boys. I grew up in a hell-raising family. My uh, brother played football at Georgia. And, but the one right above me, I was the youngest, the one right above me, his name is Bob. And I hated Bob. And I had good reason to hate him. I was three and a half years younger than him, and he beat the tar out of me. So, you know, the pecking order, I'd see Rick getting beat up, and then Rick would beat Bob up, and I'm like, man. <laughs> I mean, for absolutely no reason, just beat me up. 
And so uh, I couldn't wait to the day that I, I got older. Now, you're three and a half years. You can't mess with a three and, got somebody three and a half years older than you, right? So I started lifting weights at about 11 because <laughs> I was going to kill him one day. And about the time I got big enough to take him on, and I knew I could take him on, you know what? He changed. We were roommates. And he would be nice to me, and he'd start reading his Bible, and he was praying, and he would want to share the gospel with me. And it was kind of nice initially, right? It was nice because I didn't get the tar beat out of me. He started inviting me with his friends to hang out with his friends and to go to Young Life. And, and, uh, and it was wonderful at first, but let me tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, it began to really bother me because I knew the Ten Commandments didn't make him that way. I knew that it wasn't because he decided to be better because he read a Tony, Tony Robinson book. Or he read Your Best Life Now. It was because God had mercy upon him beating me <laughs> and made him new. And he was raised with Christ. And what bothered me is I, I didn't get that for years. And I tried to pray, and I hated praying. Oh, man, I hated it. I hated reading. I hated being around Christians. Because I was dead. And he was alive. Paul says very clearly in verse 5, when he says, We were made alive together with Christ. And though you were dead, what he means by this is that when you were united to him in his death, you're dead to the law now. The law has no more nothing on you anymore. Why? Because the, law, the curse of the law went upon Jesus. And you are united in him who deserved not to die. To die for your sins. And to reject this gospel is to establish a righteousness of your own that, trust me, you don't have. It's called union with Christ. Um, there are a lot of lawyers here in this room. I, got, I see one on front row and third row. And so if you need a lawyer. But I tell you what, if you're in trouble with the law, you ever notice when you watch those TV shows, that, that, that his client, I mean, if you're, if he's your, you're sit, the guy sitting over there and, and he, said, he didn't say a word. And guess who's speaking for him? That lawyer. And so you hope and pray that you get a good lawyer because you're united to him. And if he wins a case, it won't because you won. It's because he won the case. And if he's a bad lawyer, then too bad. You see, Jesus Christ has come, the Son of God, to live the life you don't live, to be our advocate, to be our defense lawyer. And he's the greatest because, you see, he's the lawyer who actually demands justice for his client. And the reason he does is because he says, I've already paid for that sin. Let me ask you, is that good news? Sure it's good news. But why is it not good news for some of you? Because you don't need it. You're basically a decent person. Matter of fact, you're so decent, you make everybody else miserable. Because you're self-righteous and you're, you, you, you think, well, 
my husband shouldn't, my wife, my, my father, mother, my roommate, my this and that and the other. Let me just tell you, it, you're, you're, it's because you're dead. Let me put it another way. Um, Paul says that the only way that you are going to be able to hook up to this resurrection power is through this instrument called faith. You notice what he says there? For it's by grace you're saved, through faith, and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. And let me tell you what I, he means by that. Faith is not something you work up in yourself. Theologians call that a fideism. Oh, I, do, I, put, I need to believe hard, I need to believe harder, and the reason I messed up, I need to walk down the aisle again because my faith's not good enough, and my faith's not, you don't have any. You're dead. But God, in his mercy, raises the dead and gives them this instrument that comes from him, which is faith, to embrace all the benefits of Jesus Christ. You say, well, what exactly does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. Um, when you first start dating somebody, you're getting all the information, Right? Who is that person? Do I like that person? Theologians call that the census. I'm sorry. They call that the, the, the notitia. I'm getting the information. And then you go, I really like that girl. I re and you know, she really likes me. She really likes me. And then, you, you know what you do? Let me tell you what you don't do. You don't start sleeping together. You know what you do? You go steady. And then that guy's saying to that girl, you know what, out of all these women in here, that must be awesome, like the bride, you see. And that's called a census. But then there's this thing called the fiducia. That's the third step of real salvation. And the fiducia is you make public statement to, to others that this is my wife and we're one together. And then you know what you do then? You enter into this mystical union the way God intended it, that a man and a woman know each other in a way that they can never know by dating each other. That, by the way, that's the way it's supposed to work, right? But we don't even understand this gospel because we throw off all these things. But let me tell you this. God, when he comes and he steps into your life, you will respond. And you will not only date him anymore, you will marry him. And when you marry him, you get all the riches of that husband. I don't care how bankrupt you are. I don't care how unattractive you are. You're his. Now, my last point. It's two minutes, but this only makes sense, right? So you've been made alive. By the way, listen, belief does not convert you. you a lot of y'all believe, but you've never been converted. It is not until you're converted. That's what regeneration is. It's being made alive. That's what Jesus says when you're born again. When you're made alive and you come to Christ and he makes you new, then all things are new. And so people who say, well, what about, uh, doesn't that free grace and all that stuff, doesn't that lead to lawlessness? Notice what he says, and this is the last thing. What is the effect of the gospel? Look at verse 10, everybody. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Y'all said all fit set together? Uh, even the good works. You're God's workmanship. God recreated you in Christ Jesus. For what purpose? Let me tell you why he, he's called you. It's so that he might work out his purposes through you. That's awesome. No legalist can do that. No lawless person can do that. But I tell you, a person that's met Christ, that's growing in Christ, that's growing in their union with Christ, I mean, you're not in Christ, but you're growing in your understanding of it. It's amazing. And you want to talk to people about Jesus, and you want other people to know Jesus. And even if you're not a talker, you get somebody else who knows how to talk about it. And you get them to hang around that person. I will say this. To you who never are interested in the things of God, I will tell you this. A person that's a true believer is kind of amazed by that. Why? Because they're good people? No, because they're quickened people. Because they've been made alive. You know what a real disciple of Jesus Christ is? Not a do-gooder. A person who's alive. And they follow Jesus. Let me, let me close with this, uh, with this illustration. Let me think about it this way, okay? I put it in contemporary terms. I know I've given this illustration before. Remember a couple of years ago, how all the, well, y'all know how there's zombie movies every year? I mean, like every year. Now there's a zombie show, and, and I, those things gross me out just looking at them, getting shot up and all that. But anyhow, so, so there's zombies, and I'm thinking, well, okay, what is a zombie? A zombie is a dead person, right? And what do they do? They're walking around, they're dead, but they're walking around, and what do they do? They eat people. And when they eat people, what happens to those people? They turn into zombies. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, you know why people are so fascinated with that? Because that's exactly what the Bible teaches. You see, if you don't know Christ, you're dead, you're a zombie. And you know what you do? You use God and everybody else for your own purposes. And you know what happens? When you start chewing on these people, you turn them into you. You're not a Christian. A Christian is a person who's been dead and now he's been raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's been converted. He's what Jesus says, you're born again. And rather than eating people, people feed upon you. And you bring life to them. Why? Because you're united to Jesus. That's what it means. Do you hear Jesus calling you today? Come to Jesus. And if you're a Christian and you're feeling terrible about yourself, look, I, I get that, but you know what? He'll never leave you or forsake you. I, I read somebody say the other day, and I've been saying a lot, you know, until you don't have to get better, you'll never get better. You know why you never have to get better? Because you're united to Christ and all the goodness that sits at the right hand of God. When you believe that, then you'll start being a better wife and a husband, and you'll start having life and meaning for well, let's close. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We pray you bless now uh, the sacrament as we ponder who you are and that we feed upon Jesus by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Those who uh, are serving communion, come forward. If this